there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of Between Loose and Lovecraft Correspondence. I'm hanging out with Devani and Jalee. Devani Anjali, close enough. Anjali, all right. It's so fun. Yeah, Devani is uh, CEO of uh, a, a company. Um, and do you want to explain what, what you do? Yeah, sure. So I run a company called Liberty VAs, and we help mid to small size e-commerce companies with level one sourcing level one customer support from the Philippines. And then we also help um, organized entrepreneurs hire VAs from the Philippines as well. So that's what I do as like my job job. Sure. But and and I've gotten to know you more through, um, well, through one Facebook group in particular. Yeah. But then you know I've started to follow some of the stuff that you do because you do a lot of writing, um, or you do writing. I, I don't know if you do a lot of writing. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I I do a lot of dabbling in creative efforts. So writing is one of them. I like to do watercolor and painting. Um, if you can see the flowers and stuff behind us, mm-hmm. I would consider flowers as a creative endeavor as well. We sure. love doing succulents. We just got this bad boy the other day. Gotcha. It's a big old pot of succulents. So I just enjoy dabbling in a lot of the creative stuff. I love reading. I'm an avid reader. That's how I like your podcast in the first place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All so right. like we connected and I was like, you're an avid reader. A lot of writers are avid readers. Sure. Makes Which sense. They should be. Um, for sure and um but then like you yeah you're because of your interest because of what you're doing i was able to follow some of your work um and some of the stuff that you were uh going after and and i've always been inspired by you and and what you've been able to achieve and honest honestly like one of the reasons like i i wanted to be on a podcast that you had and i was like how do i get on the show oh i know let me just start my own podcast and then i'll become cool enough that she'll want me on her show <laughs> i know and then i took a break and you know one day i'll have a podcast again and obviously you would be like the first person if it fits and all you know that's awesome yeah I- it's, it's what i love about the internet like at its best it's this place where people who would never have had the chance to cross paths in the first place can um indulge in each other's creativity and art that we bring into the world like that's the yeah. best part isn't it and and i i think i've said this on another episode of correspondence at the very least is i i think i've made more friends now podcasting and writing you know and and just meeting people over the internet than i have my in my entire life like i'm a pretty that's so awesome i'm a pretty socially awkward kid i remember when i was like eight or nine years old my dad like forced me to go outside and talk to the kids that were playing in the street mm-hmm. and like and I was like no what do, I don't I don't know if I like anything that they like turns out I yeah. did and we started a boy band called the 13th street boys and we just danced to backstreet boys stuff and it was pretty amazing that's so great <laughs> that's awesome um yeah but like that's just I just have a really hard time meeting people and and uh and kind of bringing something to the table that that I feel is worth them being my friend but now because of like a show like this where 
like we have something to talk about if only just to nerd out about books and things yeah we have something to bring to the table that ice yeah it's so cool and what a cool like perspective of like i want to be a friend that brings something of value to the people i'm hanging out with as opposed to just like existing in space which that's fine too like totally fine love chill out time with whoever <laughs> but but how what a cool way just um to even have the thought of like I don't just want to be like taking up space here. I want to provide value in this friendship. Yeah, always. That's always been a thing for me is is where yeah. do I find my value? And that's I mean, that's a that goes back to, you know, psychological insecurities of validation and all of that. So but that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> I mean, it can be. Sure. I feel like we're both philosophers or like lean into the philosophical vibe so i'm here for whatever you want to talk about (laughs) i absolutely love getting into philosophical conversations and um i I don't know there's like i've never taken a class of philosophy i've never taken a class of theology but i believe that anybody like myself who is a christian like you have to be a theologian like you have to be a biblical scholar you go to you basically go to school every week right yeah so if you're not actually absorbing that and, and trying to process it, then you're just in a cult and you don't yeah. actually care about what you're doing. But that's just me. Yeah. yeah, well, funny you say cult. That definitely society. I feel like today society is revealing a lot of those oh, <laughs> hanging right? about. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, like you came to philosophy through like religion and Bibles. For me, I came through it through books. Mm-hmm. Um because what better way to like have a little taste and sample of and like you growing up I was less socially inclined and I lean like I've always loved people but people from a distance a little bit (laughs) um uh, probably similar to you like I want to connect with people but I'm awkward doing it and so books did allow that layer of learning about the way people can behave and then through that of course it inspired me to want to write stuff of my own words of my own whether I publish it or not journaling all of that stuff and then also led me to reading more about like Carl Jung and the uh, the archetypes the people archetypes and then like the hero's journey with Joseph Campbell and the story archetype of just our human lives and the way it arcs and I just found that so that's the thing I think I think I appreciate most about books is being able to even if it's a totally fictitious story being able to see a character just go through stuff in life you know whether it's grueling whether it's minutiae whether it's whatever it is just watching a character arc their story yeah you know or a writer arc a character's story one of my favorite authors um not so much now um and i not that i don't like him anymore it's just i don't i don't read his work very much anymore but when i was late teens um he was absolutely my favorite author uh ted decker and Mm -hmm. he wrote uh the circle uh trilogy and then he he did a bunch of like murder mystery kind of thriller things and um and he's a christian author and i mean that's why i was allowed to read him (laughs) um but it was it was interesting because i i reached out to him when i started writing um not thinking much of it thinking if he ever sees this he's probably gonna ignore it but Mm -hmm. he ended up emailing me back and he went and looked me up online and i have a really crappy book on wattpad (laughs) 
that that people can read for free. And it's something that I wrote for National Novel Writing Month. So I literally wrote it in one month. And then the That's next awesome. month I, I edit, edited it. And then I gave it to my wife as a Christmas gift. Um, and it was. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. It would be sweet if it was a good book. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, like part of the creative journey is less about am I create. There are parts of the creative journey. Let me rephrase that. There are parts of the creative journey that are sometimes just less about the quality of output and just making something. Absolutely. You know? You're absolutely you know? right. And uh, so, I mean, I'm always just impressed at people who can. Even if it's, you know, even if they consider it to be like a crappy project, at, at least you did it. Yeah. And, and there is and at least you went on that journey. I do take pride in it. Um, I try not to put it out there like <laughs> I wrote a book or, or anything like that. It's more like pride in myself for being able to finish that. Yeah. And to be able to write something very specific to Rebecca because I know that she liked it because it's a bunch of our inside jokes and basically it sparked her and now she and I are writing a book together and it's it's super fun see it doesn't it doesn't always matter the quality sometimes it's just like hey I put effort into this thing and is it the best thing I've ever made is it my magnum opus no No. but it's something and it leads to something else you know and that's just so cool I love hearing stories like that yeah uh, I'm trying not to gush about myself too much. The point of the story was <laughs> he went online and he and he read some of it, at least. He probably made it maybe a chapter in. And then he emailed me back and he was like, hey, man, uh, I think it's great what you're doing. Uh, you need an editor. One hundred percent. You need to pay for an editor. He's like, he's like, don't find a friend online. Don't get someone you know, who might know how to spell well. He's like, get $4,000 together and pay for a professional editor to make sure that this book is perfect. He's like, yeah. it's a lot of money, but you're investing in your future career if this is what yeah. you really want to do. Um, That's cool. And and how awesome that somebody that you looked up to at the time took the time out of, you know, whatever they were doing in their lives to encourage you in a very productive and constructive kind of way. Yeah. And not just like, well, that's a trash book, LOL. But they were just like, this is great. Get an editor. Yeah. You, like, this, this is a great foundation. Be, you, know. you can really make something out of it. Yeah. And uh, and then he followed it up with a piece of advice that has absolutely changed the way that I write. Um, mm. And it was, it was when you're writing a story, think about who you're writing it for. Most people mm-hmm. say that in a sense of, you know, write it for the age group that's going to read the book or, you know, for if you're making a commentary on whatever social thing you're doing, then you can take that and, and write it for people that it would affect. He's like, but in, yeah. in my mind, you need to write it for you. And the character mm-hmm. that you're writing should reflect you and the things that you're dealing with in your life. He's like, I wrote a ton of books before I was published. And it wasn't until I wrote a book that I wanted to write for me and the character represented the struggle. He he wasn't me, but the struggle that I was going through. And I was like, I was reading. I was like, that's exactly it. Like, I've been writing all these things because I thought, oh, this would make a great book or this would make a great scene. And that can influence your book a lot. But ultimately, the story that you should be writing should be 
about the change that's taking place in you or the change that you want to see in you or something reflecting inside of you. You know, that's funny you say that because, A, it's like amazing advice. And B, like I remember like growing up, I really loved uh, Lord of the Rings and uh, just the whole series. I came to it from the movies first because I was really, really young. So I watched the movies first and then I read the book um, when I was older. And then I was I was homeschooled a lot uh, growing up. And um, one of the curriculum curriculums that I did was a, uh, a, a companion study guide that this homeschooling company, I don't remember their name. They made a, um, a study, a literature study guide to follow the Lord of the Rings story. And they just went through the whole book chapter by chapter, that type of stuff, all of the, the whole entire trilogy, chapter by chapter. And, um, and they also included, um, sections about learning about Tolkien himself as an author who he was how he constructed the book and I remember how much more enriching the story became after learning that it was basically his way to deal with his like PTSD from being a soldier in in one of the world wars yeah and and just all the like for on its own it's a fantastic incredible story but then learning that he wrote this he had these ideas and just the drive to keep writing and creating it was to literally help him Mm -hmm. like explain and understand the things that he had gone through as a soldier the horrific things he had seen and witnessed and like almost this therapeutic journey and i'm like oh my gosh imagine if that had never happened right you know, imagine if he had never been drafted, like as horrible as like war is like, imagine we, we would have gotten like that. a textbook about the ancient languages because that's what he would have written yeah. about because yeah, that's what he was into outside of, you know, all of his. And now you can like watch the movies and read the books knowing like, wow, this is all fantasy, but it's derived from very real suffering that happened, sure. which is why it's so poignant. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me that that he did go in that direction because he very much could have just written a memoir of, of his experiences in hmm. in World War, was it was one, right? World War One. I. I believe so. I get the details mixed up. I'm, I'm bad at remembering dates. Yeah, it was World War One because that's where C.S. Lewis fought was in World War One, and they were approximately the same age. There's no way Tolkien okay. was young enough to be in World yeah. War Two. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Did you see the movie, by the way? I haven't yet. No. And you haven't yet? I just, I don't have a ton of time to watch a lot of movies. And so yeah. I have to be really specific about what I watch. Um, if you do like Lord of the Rings, it's a very moving one. I think what, I think my thing was I was, I wanted to wait until we actually did Tolkien as a, yeah. an episode or two. And then yeah. I'll watch it because I'll just, I'll absorb as much as I can before. Oh, yeah. Super productive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely recommend it if you're going to do an episode on him. Which, why wouldn't you, right? It's Tolkien. Yeah, he deserves a spot somewhere. We try to space things out a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. I, if it was up to me, we would have a fantasy and horror uh, podcast because those are yeah. the only things I want to read. Right. So it would be like C.S. Lewis, Stephen King, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, and then you know Tolkien and Brandon Sanderson, and it'd just be very static in what we talk about. But well, Hannah, if you ever find space and need time and need a co-host and yeah, keep me in mind. Sure, you know uh, we've we've talked about it a little bit actually. Um, I know with uh, I, we did an episode with um, 
best friends playbook they did mm. they wanted to do uh the handmaid's tale which oh well. i haven't seen that one i've heard lots of things about it right i i uh i listened to the book and it was good uh yeah. it was intense <laughs> mm, uh and yeah. the show is even more so and they uh and so we we basically did four people and then since then we've been in talks of doing some some swap arounds because mm. uh crystal from best friends playbook doesn't like scary stuff at all but uh, uh ali very much likes horror and scary things so yeah i we might yeah, i don't swap. like horror oh okay all right i like don't it, like, like horror at all, all i i at all i just it <laughs> I um I like the fantasy realm and the sci-fi realm and the horrors that can crop up in that context. Sure. I don't like watching movies that make me jump. <laughs> like Oh really? Like the main purpose of it is like making me jump. Um sure. yeah, I Ash wanted me to watch uh the It movie. So oh, we watched so the first good. one and he loved it. He's a fan of that type of stuff. I just I don't Oh man, I love It's hard for me to get into it. The the first the in the remakes for uh It Chapter 1 is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. I can see like I enjoyed parts of the story and mm. I enjoyed that it wasn't fully it wasn't just like every single scene was you turn around and there's a thing there. But right. I just it's really hard for me to do horror stuff. So I get it. I I totally creeped my cousin out. She was she was watching our grandparents' house by herself out in the country, and I brought it over uh, and mm-hmm. made her made her watch it. And so I and then I like immediately after it was done, I was like, "All right, see you later. I'm leaving." And she's like, "No, you can't leave. You have to stay here." <laughs> and uh, so then I would just send her um, screenshots from the movie randomly, and uh, it was pretty great. I love I love that movie so much. Like I enjoy horror when it's good. But yeah. I generally don't like horror movies because they're not good. So <laughs> when I do find one that is good, like It Chapter One, I I'm all over it. I love it. Well, eventually I'm gonna watch the second one because I do want to like be committed to finishing it. Sure. <laughs> but uh, it's gonna take a little while. I, would, I still have I to recover. Say, I would say the second one's not as scary. Okay. Um, because you kind of know the character mm-hmm. a little bit, and you're like, okay, yeah, you suck. Um. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's more, I don't know. It's just kind of messing with them at that point. Mm, so it's not yeah. like, it's like, as someone who probably doesn't watch a lot of horror movies, there are probably going to be things that you're like, oh my God, that's terrifying. So don't, yeah. don't come like yelling at me when you do get scared of it. Like you'll probably still be scared. I just, I'm just saying not as scary. Yeah. Well, now I kind of know what to expect a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because when uh, when this whole lockdown thing started, I uh, dove into for the first time the the Game of Thrones TV show, which I had been avoiding for a long time. I tend to, um, if something's like super 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 hyped and it's constantly trending on Twitter every single day, constantly, I kind of just avoid it till the hype is down because I'm like, what if I'm just disappointed and the masses <laughs> just choose things that suck? Yeah. Oh boy, was I wrong! Like, boy, was I wrong! Yeah. <laughs> uh, watching things has not been the same. Have you seen Have you seen the series? No, I won't. Okay. I won't touch Game of Thrones uh, for my for some moral reasons. I've drawn a line. Yeah, in the sand and I hear I gotta... that. I hear that. I hear that for sure. That was also part of what made me hesitant to uh, 
to dive in because I started the first book a while back and it was a lot there. Yeah. They go into a lot of topics that I personally don't love, <laughs> you right. know, um, but I've just been told like the TV show, it's so amazing. And, and, and quality wise, it's incredible. Sure. However, I, I completely understand and respect the fact that it is not everyone's cup of tea <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. I just, I, and I talked about this on another episode somewhere. Um, I'm really tired of dark, uh, dark fantasy. Um, it seems yeah. like we got we got Lord of the Rings, and everyone was like, "This is great! It looks really good, and it's you know kind of dark. It's got its battles and things." And then they just took those aspects and ran with it, and we got the Game of Thrones. We got mm. MTV did the Sword of Shannara and made it all like like soap opera sexy, and I'm like, mm. um, "Yo, that's not." That's not what this story is about at all. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of other stuff from there. I've, I've, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I like, I, I guess I'm like, I'm like you where, but like with romance and sex and things, it's like, yeah, I like it when it crops up every once in a while in a good fantasy, yeah. but I don't want that to be the theme. I don't want that to be the thing of the fantasy And just so, like, aggressively there. Yeah. I think that's what bothered bothered me with the books, and that's another reason why I avoided the show, because it's, like, when it's, like, aggressively there, I just don't... Like, that's not really... That's not my vibe whatsoever. Right. I I appreciate the darkness in Lord of the Rings because it represented very real struggles that the world was going through when it was written, but there was also those, like, little pinprick moments of like hope and light and like Rivendell yeah. like who doesn't want to live in Rivendell who doesn't want Rivendell to exist who doesn't want to live know? in the Shire like that's exactly the gra- that too that's the greatest place in the world I would yeah love. I want to go to New Absolutely. Zealand so bad do it it's so worth it do it yeah when you can <laughs> yeah right wife, when it's possible it. when it's possible yeah. yeah it's just and that's the thing about story I think that's so amazing like you were talking about earlier being able like the art imitates life life imitates art the whole like circle of that and being able to immerse yourself in something that came from somebody else's mind and imagination Mm -hmm. but then at the same time also resonates with you you know like uh for me growing up Reading Harry Potter, that was one of those things. I don't know if you've read it. I don't know if you were allowed to read them. <laughs> I, I, I know I had a lot of friends who were also Christian who just weren't allowed to read those books. Sure. But for me, it it represented just, you know, people overcoming some of their struggles. And some of those struggles were presented as external struggles, but then a lot of them were internal struggles, the internal right. struggles of popularity, the internal struggles of not feeling good enough, the the struggle of being the poor kid in a school. Yeah. You know, there were there were all those elements and you know, when art art is at its best when it reminds us of what life is. Yeah. Know? And and I was we talked about this with uh, with Allie on her correspondence episode. I I was given the second Harry Potter book to read just randomly Ooh, when I was a kid. Really, and I made that's interesting. It, yeah, I know, right? My dad had no idea what he was handing me. He was like, "Yeah, it's a book. <laughs> I, I somebody likes it, I guess." And uh, and he gave you the second one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think I think like maybe a friend from his work was like, "Oh, this is a great series. Uh, you got a kid, you should give it to him." And I don't know. Yeah. But I started reading it and I was like, nope, 
done. Yeah. <laughs> After one chapter, I was I was good. I at at the time when Harry Potter was coming out, I was not into reading at all. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then I I read Harry Potter. I read the first four Harry Potters in a in about a four six month span, um, and then I started the fifth, and then it's been three years since I've been able to continue reading it. So I'm still on the fifth book. Yeah. Which... The fifth book is arguably like the hardest book to get through. It, weirdly, it's my favorite. Um, but a lot of people in like the Harry Potter fandom don't love it just because it has so much of the like teenage drama. And if you're not sure. a teenager while reading it, it's a bit frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Come on, yeah. just tell her how you feel, man. Seriously, yeah. yeah. But then you have to remember, like, this kid is, like, fighting an evil dark lord at school, and he constantly has to save his school, and he's a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I think that is something so, that we we forget in a lot of fantasy and a lot of stuff, a lot of literature yeah. is, like, we're, we're, we always make our characters really young for some reason. Yeah. And then we That's what something them. I posted in the writing group that we're in together. It was it's that like, you? I forgot. That, that was you. Yeah, you posted I was just, like, that. I was, because I've been, like, looking for because there's the, I feel like there's this uh gap and it might just be that I haven't like read enough books that um are in the section like kind of between being a teenager and being a full-grown adult like yeah. heroes that are like in their 20s and figuring out adult life in the backdrop of like fantasy and sci-fi because I just don't I, I don't really read the romance genre I don't really read the coming of age genre and yeah, yeah. I could read those that's fine but I gravitate towards fantasy and sci-fi um and yeah the just the frustration around like where are the stories of like not the teenager being burdened to save the world but you know people a little bit older also just experiencing life while doing whatever they're doing i've had i've had an idea for like a comic book uh i i guess i would love for it to be a show obviously Mm -hmm. but i don't think that a show would ever happen because i don't know how i don't know how that works um, but I've, I've limited myself to comic book and it'd be a fantasy based sitcom. Right. And it would just, oh, cool. it would be about a guild of people and they meet at a tavern. That's where their guild hall is or whatever. And, um, there's the, the two twin newcomers and they're basically the main characters and then the cast around them that are, you know, a part of the guild. And it's literally just a sitcom like every once in a while they go on a, a small adventure because that's their job and it'd yeah. basically be brooklyn 99 meets game of thrones lord of the rings dungeons and dragons that sort of thing and totally and i've wanted to do it for so long because I, exactly what you're saying of like they're not gonna be teenagers they're gonna be grown-ass adults but they're gonna be young enough where they're it's basically friends like they're just trying to figure themselves mm-hmm. out figure out their place in this world on top of the fact that they have to go fight a freaking dragon. <laughs> they totally. have to defend totally. the town from giants, you know, and and yeah. so they do. That's their job. And I thought yeah. that'd be a really cool dynamic to show, like, people do do extraordinary things, and they do still have to figure themselves out. And I think especially right now, in a time where we're living, like, there's this weird trend, especially for like millennials, of like, mm-hmm. we're thirty years old, and some of us are still living in our parents' basement because we've seen that it's better to just stay with the parents and go get $200,000 worth of debt and yeah. and live un- under that oppression. Yeah. 
And then just the wide span and age range of millennials. Because some millennials are in their 30s. And like for me, I'm in my mid-20s. And we're all just millennials and we're all trying to figure it out. And like the genre of art that captures that time period feels so important. Yeah. Because there, I do feel like there is a discrepancy. And maybe we'll create the genre because this is our current struggle. And write what you struggle with. Write what you're frustrated and can't find. Write what you want to see or create what you want to see out there. And like having characters who are going through that phase of there's still part of them that is maturing out of the teenage stage, but you're not fully an adult yet. You're still figuring out your identity in the world. Yeah. You know? Cause yeah, and I'm, I think I'm that 30 that's so and important. I'm still figuring that out. Like yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't 25 before, um, before I started like trying to giving up on the old dreams that I had yeah, and, and trying to figure out where the new stuff is. I went to film school and the only awesome. the only thing I gained out of film school is the ability to do a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Like, wow, okay, not I so sh- awesome, right? Like, I I should have been able to go do video work and become a videographer mm-hmm. or an editor or something and work my way into that. Was it that, because but- what what was it about the classes or the structure or the form or whatever it was that? didn't help you like was it the teaching style was it the method was it that you were just drawn to audio and decided i don't want to mess with this film stuff or i think it was a mixture of a lot of different things um Mm -hmm. to to pick out some of the particulars the school i went to is a predatory school so they only wanted my money um and Mm -hmm. they provided classes and then provided an education but it was it was not the best Um, skate by yeah, it was, we have to teach yeah. you how to edit, so here's the editing stuff. Um, mm. Which, again, they provided an education. If I was more um, motivated, I could have learned more, I, I think. Mm. Uh, a couple other things, I, I left and went to school down in Arizona because mm. I needed to get away from family and everybody here mm. for at least a little bit. But yeah. then, like the day after I moved down there, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I need oh, to get really? back to Oregon. Yeah. So I had the opportunity. And to you're get... from Oregon. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I, I grew up in, in Portland, Oregon, just not Portland. Um, and so I love the Willamette Valley. I love it here so much. It's, it's the best. And then moving to Phoenix, Arizona, where it's uh, 120 degrees for 30 days in a row. So um, you did like a reverse twilight. Uh, yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. I've had that conversation. I equally hated it. Um, (laughs) and, um, and so I, I had the opportunity to go for my bachelor's, but I didn't want to stay down there. So I just got my associates Mm -hmm. and literally the next, like I, I graduated and the next week I was on a plane back up here. Um, I, I was dating Rebecca back then we were doing long distance, so I did not want to be away from her any longer. Um, and then when I got back up here, I wanted to have the perfect job right away and I was unwilling to compromise. Mm. So I really kind of screwed myself on getting a job. Um, mm. And then and then I didn't use it. I didn't have the equipment just offhand. I didn't have a job to pay for equipment. So it just kind of slowly kind of shifted out of, out of yeah. balance for me. And then it was when I started podcasting, um, I... I applied for a job as a t-shirt printer with a guy who, uh, who owned a little podcast studio. He interviewed me. Um, and that was the first time I ever did any pod. I had never even really heard of it before. And, 
Um, like he interviewed me on his show because he just needed oh, cool. material and he thought I was a wow. cool guy. And <laughs> from that moment, I was like, how do I make this happen? And, uh, and I talked to my older brother and he and I, we would always have philosophical slash nerdy debates just, just That's because cool. we wanted to. Yeah. And so I was like, dude, let's put some, re- some microphones in front of us and let's record this. And he was willing to, and we got six episodes out of it. And it's called uh, uh, We Speak Common. Uh, I think we still have a web page on. Actually, I think I can find it. Hold on. I'm absolutely going to go listen to it. Uh, this, again, That's this awesome. is Tyler from like, it's got to <laughs> be like seven, eight years ago, I think. Yeah. How cool that you have your like evolution recorded or like bits of it, though. Yeah. Uh, like this is stuff you can go like when you have kids if you ever have kids or whoever really and like years from now down the road you go back and be like hey guys this is where i was in my life and this was this is the content we created yeah around it absolutely and and i and i i've even thought about that um man i'm going off on a tangent hold on let me finish this main story yeah we we started podcasting we got about six episodes in i fell in love with it randy got too busy so then i just coerced uh, a friend of mine Brandon into doing another show with uh, a guy who owned a studio um, and then I saw what that guy was doing and owning a studio and then and I was like I can do that so then awesome. I coerced another friend into helping me start this business where we own a podcast studio and we do different shows and things like that that's so, cool so do you so do you produce a bunch of different shows do you are you the voice of all of them or you just help with like background stuff on some of them um i i we started as canby now podcast which is our our news show for the town that we live in canby Hmm. um and we started out where i was producing everything i would read all the stories uh frankie my my partner um he would write all the stories and then i would read them and and produce everything else and then it started to grow from there and we opened up the studio because we had people who were like, hey, I have an audio book I want to record or I have an oh, idea nice. for a podcast. And I was like, I did some numbers. And I was like, hey, man, if we if we own a studio space we and we are able to fill it, we could make good money and people pay like 50, yeah. 60 bucks just to come in and I'll sit down and hit record and they just talk. And so That's we've so we've been able to find a small amount of success in that. Um, the biggest problem is I'm doing can be now um you know two nights a week mm-hmm. i work 40 hours a week uh, sometimes mm-hmm. 50 hours a week i go yeah. to school uh one night a week i actually have a wife that i enjoy being around so i want to be around her i hear that mm-hmm. and then i have my my other show between lewis and lovecraft which is it's my passion it's what yeah. i want to do so that takes up time as well. So oh. it's it, I don't have time to do the podcast studio as a business right now. Yeah. The hope is that uh, as the can be now stuff takes over and becomes more full time, then I'll be able to buy back some of my time and Absolutely. stay in the studio and start really pushing people to come in, um, use the space um, and or, you know, if offer my my ability to editing if someone just records mm-hmm. on their own and they just want to send me their audio yeah. stuff then i can take care of that the rest of it for what them. a cool thing and you know brick by brick right oh absolutely yeah you're building it up as you go living your life figuring it out 
Um, so I in the chat I I added the link to uh, that website. I'm um, absolutely gonna check it out. Um, but yeah, awesome. I I love the idea of being able to share um, stuff with with my kids, like my journey and all that. Have you gotten into any of the like uh, podcast fiction shows? Yeah, a few of them. I I tried to share one with you. I think uh, the black Did. the black tapes. I haven't started it yet, but it's like on my list of like to it's, get to. It's so I'm currently good. going through um, a nonfiction audiobook and a fiction audiobook at the same time, and I can only like juggle. And I'm reading Ready Player One, so I'm like can only juggle so much in my head at one time. But yeah. I have it on my list. So Ready Player One, uh, did you watch the movie and then decide to read the book? Or, or yes, I watched the movie first. I, I didn't know the movie was based on a book. Oh really? Um, I just saw that it was like on a poster, and it, I love the dystopic genre, so I was like, sure, I'll watch it. Uh, I didn't watch it at theaters. I watched it at home. Um, did not even know it was a book till like a year after the movie. Had no idea. It was completely really? out of the loop. Somehow my brain didn't. Um, capture the based on a novel portion <laughs> that shows up with motion pictures that are based on a book. So sure. just out of the loop on that. Uh, the book is so much better as per usual. <laughs> it's very different. Yeah. I would say the movie experience, and I'm only like halfway through it, maybe a third, a third way through it. Um, and I can see why like in reading the story, I can see why they condensed it for a movie format. Yeah. Um, the what was cool is learning a little more about the writer is that he was part of the script making process of the Ready Player One movie sure. and he also wrote his novel so what a cool journey and wild his breakout novel uh, that was his like that was that his was first his, novel that was his first novel that's pretty good man Ready Player One in 2011 was his first uh, he had a writing career I believe obviously but but for himself, that was his first book. And so I just, what a cool story. Yeah. And um, the book is, I don't know a whole lot. I don't know too much about 80s culture, but it's, and nor do I know a whole lot about video game culture. But for people who are nostalgic around the video gaming world, it, it much is this big um, throwback. I, I think it's interesting um, that, I don't know. Every single time people say the book is better than the movie. I, I don't know of a single case where someone's like, yeah, the, the movie was better. I do. Oh, really? Hunger Games. Really? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I only read the first one. I don't even know if I finished the first one, to be honest. And then my wife was obsessed with it. Um. Yeah. I think the I, – I, I do believe the movies are better – Solely because I don't really love the um, the genre of young adult fiction that gets too much into a character's head. Mm, okay. um, yeah, and 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 that particular book inside the character's head, there was too much consistent whiny tone, and I didn't love it. <laughs> All right, if that makes sense. And uh, and I was all I also read it as a teenager, so sure. like. It was supposed to be relatable, but it felt like one of those books where an adult wrote a teenage character trying to be relatable to other teenagers, and I could constantly feel that through reading it. It's almost like a PSA about not smoking weed, and the the adults like standing there with the jacket on the back of their shoulder and like, "Hey kids, you want to be cool? Don't do drugs. Do yeah, exactly milk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. That's really and and you know." 
I don't like publicly like hating anybody's work mm -hmm. at all. And it's not that I hate it at all. I just found that the movie cut out so much of that inner dialogue and made the, inherently just made the story better. Yeah, I get because that. I was like, I'm not here for this internal me, 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 me going on in your right. head. Right. Uh, you know, I just I want to see the story. So that is an instance where I do feel like the movies were much better. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, I'm glad I didn't waste my time with reading. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure uh, people love it. That's why it was made into a movie. So some people out there do love it. So, you know, there's a genre for for that. I do. I do like watching movies before I read books. Really? And, yeah. I do. Why so? And it, it happened with Harry Potter, um, but I've noticed it a few times after that where I would I would watch a movie and then be like, man, that seems interesting. Let's go check out the book. Interesting. And the reason why is because while I have a vast imagination and I can come up with a lot of crazy stuff, I'm really bad at imagining what people look like and uh. like what a room looks like or something right like if mm. somebody's like like tolkien for example who spends an entire chapter talking about the look of the room in rivendale and a chair that bilbo is i sitting hear that in. and i'm like yeah. i don't see any of this i cannot <laughs> in my head understand what you're saying that's interesting. So, so are so you're not like a visual thinker or is it just when you're reading? It's it's I am a visual thinker and okay. when I'm when I'm reading dialogue or or action like I will if you if you ever watched which would be stupid. If you ever watched me listen to an audiobook and mm -hmm. they are um they're saying like, you know, this person says this with a smirk on their mouth and then a small laugh comes out of whatever. Like you will, if you're watching me, you'd see me do those things because in my head I'm playing that through. And so I kind of end up mimicking it. I'll be like, that's mm. funny. You know, like while I'm listening, <laughs> totally. to I'm a weirdo. Yeah. It's super weird. I, I know, but like, it's but funny. specifically when it comes to descriptions of people and places and mm. things, if someone's like, and he grabbed the orb, which looked like blah, 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 blah. But I, I just see it in my head. It's orb. That's all I got. That's what drove me nuts about the Atlas Shrug book. Really? Because Just immense detail about seemingly irrelevant no. topics to the, yeah. But if I watch the movie first, mm. I know exactly what that thing looks like. Or at least okay. one interpretation. I know yeah, exactly that what that character should sound like, look like, what that place – I know what Hogwarts should look like because yeah. if it was just my imagination, it'd look like Buckingham Palace because that's the only thing I can think of in in the England that is yeah. old. You know? like Totally. So ha watching a movie like Ready Player One specifically and then reading the book would do wonders for my imagination because there's, it's so – like there's so much that I could probably could not grasp in mm. the literature of description. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think that that's a really good point. I think for me, I like comparing what I saw in my head to the visual that somebody else presents. And then just having that comparison of like, Oh, that's interesting. This is how my mind drew up this image. Mm -hmm. And this is what this producer, director and actor and team of people uh, created right. based on their collective imagination from what was written. Yeah. So that 
I guess for me, it also depends on like, do I need the movie to convince me to read the book? Right. Yeah. And like, is it, you know, because it does shorten the time. Like we all have busy lives and yeah. a two hour movie is way easier than, oh, do I need to be committed to reading this book? Yeah, this 30 hour book. Um, if I'm if I'm holding strong. Yeah. yeah. The same thing happened with uh, uh, Good Omens. I started reading it and I was like, I don't understand what's happening because of the way that it's written. The second I started watching the show on Amazon. I was hooked because I loved it. And then I went back and reread it. And I was like, oh, now I understand what's happening. Cool. I mm. get it now. And That was such an interesting show. Oh, I loved it. Did man. you like it? Yeah, I loved it so much. Yeah. I liked I... that Neil Gaiman was so involved with it. And mm. to the point where he's like, I'm never letting anyone make a TV show or movie based off of my books because I have to do so much work to make sure they don't ruin it. Yeah. It's com- commitment. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it and it 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 was one of those interesting things. I enjoyed it. I found it immensely corny. Um loved David Tennant as the weird sarcastic devil yeah. counterpart to the other guy. Yeah. So I had very mixed feelings around it, but I think overall I enjoyed how they kept the innocence and quirkiness of something and allowed some like uh, mythical stories to be told in a way that didn't ruin it for children. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things in our entertainment culture that constantly go above and beyond and try to make stories so much more just adding layers of sex appeal and war and, you know, imagery that, you know, it's like, can we not take away the innocence of a good story for children? Yeah. I think that's what I really appreciated about it. Even though for me, it was a little bit corny and, (laughs) you know, a little cringe at times, but I enjoyed the fact that they kept it very wholesome. Sure. I think that there's room for corny stuff in, in a lot of stories. Absolutely. I mean, I, that show had me 100%. It, it had me, when they did the scene of Jesus being crucified mm. and um, and you got uh, what is his name? The angel guy is standing there watching him be crucified. And then Crawley, the demon, David Tennant comes up and he's like, oh, that's so sad. He was such a good guy. You know, I, I showed him all the kingdoms of heaven, basically proclaiming that he was the, the Satan that, you know, the Bible talks about. And then he's like, so what did he what did he do to deserve this? And he Mm -hmm. was like, Oh, he told them to love each other. And then Crowley's Mm. response is just, yeah, that'll do it. You know, like (laughs) I love that joke so much because to me, it's so true. Like the more Mm. that you try to just get people to relate to each other and love each other, the more you're going to be hated. And It's, and to, I, like, find areas of just consensus around communication with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you believe. Like, I, like for me, like, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, cool, you believe these different things, but can all of us have friendly conversations around them? Not convincing each other or, like, trying to force each other to believe these different things, but just, like, a friendly conversation so we can understand each other's perspectives around it. Like, Yeah, absolutely. You know? I, I mean, I, you listened to my episode on, on hell, and I was very 
somber for the most part in that episode because I, I, I have such a hard time with having this discussion with people I don't know. And that's essentially yeah. what I'm doing in a podcast is I'm having a discussion sure. with a bunch of strangers. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it is hard because it's around things that people have some fundamental perception of their own. Sure. You know? Yeah. And so it's like one of those touchy subjects. But at the same time, like, does it have to be touchy? Can't we all just have our different viewpoints on it without uh, it having to trigger? Yeah, and that's like for me, I'm not a religious person at all. I don't necessarily believe in the concept of heaven and hell. I don't right. really like I'm not. However, like. I can hear someone's perspective on it. Right. And it's cool. It's wonderful being able, I, I enjoyed the conversation you guys had and were able to host around just like having, just talking about each layer of, because it was, you guys were also talking about the Dante's Inferno. Yeah. And the layers to it all. And just, you were able to have a conversation and both be able to share your own perspective without demonizing each other for it (laughs) you know and i think that those are i think being able to showcase those kinds of conversations are important especially in you know today's world of it's today yeah man and and that's exactly my thing is is i i've realized that the problem with a lot of conversations and that's why i started the episode the way i did of saying like look i'm not I don't want anybody else. I'm not trying to get anybody else to believe anything. There's no expectation that I'm going to change your mind. I am talking from my point of view. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's what people deal with in a lot of debates and uh, a lot of stuff where I sit down and talk to people um, that I'm related to that, you know, it's like when they talk, they expect you to change. They expect you to agree with them 100%. And if you don't, then you're wrong and something has to change, you know, mm-hmm. like it has to change or else they can't let it go. Yeah. And, and that, that bugs me. Cause it's, that's, that's not the point of any discussion I've been a part of when, when Randy and I were doing the, we speak common show, we would get into these debates and, and, you know, like I was, I was like, yeah, man, cosplay's evil. Like it's so awful because people are just being slutty and they're just dressing up as, slutty versions of things and and i don't like it you know and and that was mm-hmm. that was seven or six years ago and now i'm like dude cosplays the fucking best you know and yeah. because i i've learned you know like i i've learned that it's not about me it's about them doing what they want to do and experiencing that moment of being that character or whatever or or they put mm. a lot of work into the costume and and uh and so i've learned a little bit more and so when I made those statements, I wasn't expecting Randy to agree with me and he didn't, he argued with me and it, and it helped change me into someone that makes, that is more accepting of people because. But you changed on your own time frame too. Exactly. It's, it's, I changed because I started to look at what I said and I started to put that up against the real world and what things yeah. are actually like rather than totally. my uh, perception of it. Yeah, absolutely. Ash and I talk about this stuff all the time. And it's just about like allowing people their own journey. Yeah. You know, allowing people their own journey and being able to be in that journey and stand for what you believe while still having the open mind and ability to know that throughout your own life journey, like for me, 
there's so many like for me i um not to get into politics at all but i had a phase <laughs> where i was deep into politics you know yeah. i'm sure we all have that phase and um for me it was more about me being right and me being loud about being right, you right. know, for the longest time, which now I look back at that. And I'm like, man, that's so cringe. And just like, I would never want to come across like that. I would never want to come across in a conversation that like, I'm the most right in this room. If you could only just listen to me and right. hear that I'm being right right now, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> and, like, that's so cringe. But the point is like, we grow out of this stuff. And just coming back to your point around that shift you had in being open to other perspectives. And now it's just like, yeah, I can stand for specific things that I believe in with literally without being bothered that other people are or are not believing in those things, too. Sure. And it's OK. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be loud and proud all the time about that, everything. That is something I've learned so much of like, man, how about you just shut up and let other people talk and have their mm -hmm. opinion? You don't always yeah. have to have yours in that conversation at that time. And yeah. I think that goes, this is going back to what we talked about close to the beginning of the episode of, you know, we're in that place. Like I'm 30, you're mid twenties and we're st starting to figure that out. Right. Like we're at yeah. that, like, man, maybe I don't always have to be right. Maybe I need to just kind of be myself and just be me and not have to worry about it. And yeah. and there's that that kind of tampering of, of stuff. And, and before you had found validation and always being right. And I always found validation in like be, being in arguments about God and Jesus and all that and, yeah. you know, trying to find that. And so we're still finding that validation for just existing. Mm -hmm. um, and we're 20 something years old. We're not 13 years old fighting yeah. Voldemort, you know, or being what's Katniss is like 14 15 right in the yeah you know and she's taking on an entire political system you know and yeah uh, uh Percy Jackson is literally fighting God love that he's, series too he's 12 yeah. 13 years old and and you have these teenagers these kids that have to justify their existence with these huge battles and in real life that doesn't happen really until you're in college and you're in your 20s yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much, and, and I get it. It's like when you're little, it's cool to read about these young people doing these amazing things. But then at the same time, I often wonder, like when people reach, you know, my age, your age, whatever, uh, is there a part of us that feels like our time's gone now? Hmm. And, the, and we're t genuinely way too young to ever think something like, is my time over yet? Because literally every single year that you exist could be your time, could be your peak, could be something that you start and realize, I love this thing. I love doing it. It's now going to like partly define this portion of my life because yeah. I'm going on a new journey to create something new. Like that can be every year. It doesn't matter how old you are, but we have this culture, I feel like in books and in especially the young adult book where it's like these characters are peaking so young yeah. and, and when you we just being immersed in that, the older you get, is it like, man, because I've been reading all these books about children doing stellar, amazing things. Is it over for me now? Right. right. <laughs> 
and and yes that's a little bit dramatic but i do think that there is a bit of a sort of crisis in purpose i think that's why people, people love like the sequels or really like the epilogue of harry potter we like to see where he is when he's older because we want to make sure that he's not just going to go into an alleyway and commit suicide after all of this yeah because what else does he have to live for um right. and I think like Saturday Night Live even did a whole skit where it shows Harry still lives at like he's like 40 years old and he's still living at Hogwarts because that's where he peaked. That's he doesn't ever want to leave. And so like he's that weird old guy that just never left Hogwarts. And like so there is validation. Not that SNL is always perfect, but like there is validation in that thought process of of like what happens to these young people that that peak at 13, 15, 18 years old. And, and their stories are so big at this point. What do they have to look forward to um, Mm -hmm. afterwards? And um, I think that's why, like I, I, when I started writing my fantasy story, I have it's five main characters and Mm -hmm. they're all teenagers, um, 17, 16, 16, 14 and 13. And um, immediately as I finished the first book, I was like, I'm tired of these young kids. I'm tired of mm. writing about kids. Uh, yeah. So I basically was like, all right, how do I make it so that I can jump forward like four or five years so that at the very least, majority of them are going to be in their 20s. Um, mm. That's and, awesome. And we can start telling stories about young adults and what they have to Thinking deal with enough. in the world. Yeah. 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 For I know with... Um... I'm writing a dystopic fiction and I actually consciously made the choice to write the story and not decide the age at all until it came to me. So I don't know the age of my characters and I think that's okay. Yeah. You're letting them Um, kind of play out. I'm letting the the story story unfold and whatever age seems to fit the character. I will, I will incorporate that later. Yeah. Um, I, I know cool. everything else about them in terms of, at this point in the story anyway, <laughs> because you know how much the stuff changes. You're oh, yeah. a writer. You know this. The stuff changes. Oh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I I know a lot about their personality traits. I know a lot about what they're passionate about, what they're fighting for, what how the struggles they're going through. And I'm finding that leaving the age ambiguous allows for so much more freedom in the expression of who they are, because now it's less about, oh, it is a 13 year old going through this story and more just about what is the human experience happening? Yeah. What, what is the human experience of this character? Yeah. And I, I totally get that. When I wrote the uh, Rebecca Moon book, uh, the one I was talking about on Wattpad, I never say how old she is ever. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, I'm like, she's between like 14 and 16 years old, but I never specifically say. And a lot of people, I think, caught on to that because on the comments, they'll be like, how old is she supposed to be? She seems really young for this situation to be mm-hmm. happening or the opposite. She's They'll be like, wow, I imagined her really young, but she's doing this. And that seems to be out of place for a young person to be doing something mm-hmm. like that. And my justification is like, look, it doesn't matter how old she is. She's in a situation. That's what's that's the important part. It's how she reacts to that situation. And Mm -hmm. I know plenty of 13 year olds that in certain situations, they're going to act like an 18 year old because they have to. Um, Yeah. And 
I know from my own life, being an 18-year-old doesn't mean that I'm going to act like an 18-year-old. I might act like yeah. a 14-year-old because I can get away with it. And Same. So, um, so that's why I left her ambiguously, like, ageless, because I mm-hmm. wanted the younger people to see her as an older character, and I wanted the older people to see her as a younger character. That's and, so cool. Yeah. I love that dynamic, too, because then it's not – we're not defining – I think that's the thing that I struggle with now. It's not really a struggle. A struggle is a very dramatic word. Maybe I use two dramatic words at times. Um, <laughs> but I'm a writer. You know this. Yeah, we you have to. This. We have, we have to. to. We have to. It's a must. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think as I'm going through the process of writing and growing as a person myself, allowing um allowing what defines the characters I'm writing about being more based on the things they accomplish and who they become as a character, as opposed to their age, their color, their height, their, you know, all these external things that don't really do the character justice. Because the character is, you know, for me, I have a character who is, she's this uh, feisty redhead, living in a post-apocalyptic world they're in the amazon rainforest that's been completely destroyed and is now a desert and these are the struggles she's going through yeah you know the struggles she's going through are you know survival yeah and that's what's important to the story how is she becoming a better character through surviving and thriving and learning how to navigate the world that i'm building around this and i think that that relates to me because for me it's about how am I choosing to thrive and grow and survive and become regardless of these different labels yeah absolutely you know um and I you know I like I have uh this this that one of the main girls in my story she kind of starts to fall in love with one of the guys who is he's from this other world and and at first, when I first started writing the story, you know, he's this super, like, classic, handsome prince style guy. Like, mm-hmm. he was all about it. He was a prince. He's a knight of the order, good looking, like a year older than her and and super young. And it was great. And I loved it. And then as I was rereading it, and I'm, I'm now on the edit, probably the fifth revision of this whole story. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I don't like this guy anymore. This guy pisses me off. All right. Mm. He's a prince, but he doesn't want to be a prince. He's a knight of the order, but he's recently been fired because he did some stupid shit. And he's not that good looking. Like, he could be good looking, but because he's a dumbass, he went and got his eye poked out, and now he's got this massive scar and an eye patch. And you know what? He's still going to be one of the best characters. He's just, yeah, like, all of his stuff stays the same. Other than those those three qualities about him. And then I suddenly went, oh, my God, he's so much more interesting. This yeah. eye patch and scar, it's like, oh, how did he get that? And everyone's going to ask. He's going to be like constantly like, I don't want to talk about it. Right. So now he's mysterious. It's like the, yeah. It's like the grittiness of life that compels us to want to know more about like, how did that happen? Right. But he's and he's still a good person. And that's mm-hmm. what she starts to really fall in love with. Not because he's good looking, not because he's a knight, not because he's a prince, but because he does good things. And yeah. that's what I started to realize that I liked about that relationship. Um, 
and and it just became less surface, less twilighty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, for sure. Less uh, polish. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a question that I have, I guess, and and maybe we can we can end the show, but after discussing this, is mm-hmm. you know we've we've talked a little bit about all these ideas between writing itself and then even just living as millennials. Do you think we're going to see um, in the future, like people are going to look back at this time and go, yeah, there's this new movement in literature and art that um, defines that era, right? So you've got like the Renaissance in the 1500, early 1500s. Um, you've got the modern era from like the 60, 60s, 1960s, uh, Victorian era. Do you think people are going to look back at this time and go, yeah, there was like the, I don't know, uh, millennial, millennial, millennialism, huh? That's a cool name. Yeah. Do you think people will look at that and see that? Um, I try not to think about it too much. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I think that, I think we'll look back to this time as an incredible uh, space of growth for humanity. Yeah. Artistically, creatively, creatively, artistically, just life in general, politically, uh, just there's just so much going on in this time that I feel like there's no one area that's going to stand out. And so I kind of look at that as like, man, that was an era of massive growth for humanity. Sure. I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know if there's going to be standout moments from it. It just feels like this big growth phase. And so I'm, I've never really made predictions around around the world before because it could go any kind of way yeah but it just feels i don't know what do you think it just feels like such massive upheaval in so many different areas including the artistic area from going from like having all these middlemen managing stuff to people branching out into more independent artistry and creativity uh and i feel like that is maybe that's it the cutting out of the middle person Hmm. in every area and being okay in our individuality and not needing other people, other corporate ideas, other agendas to say this is right or this is wrong, but for all of us to just independently create what we enjoy and be proud of that. And maybe that's the journey we're on right now, but that's the journey I'm on personally. Yeah. So, and and I think if that plays out, yeah, I think a lot of people are on that journey of, finding their individuality and being able to be comfortable with it in the world um, and finding space to, to make a living on their own, you know, without, without yeah. the need of a major corporation funding their life. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And um, I don't know. I, I do, I am not, I am not a futurist, but I am someone who likes to look at, the future and see what are we doing now and how is it going to affect the future? And I think I do that because uh, my life has been such a roller coaster. Like I, mm-hmm. I have been, um, I have been programmed to see like, Oh yeah, things are great right now, but they're going to suck. 
They're going to suck real bad. They have to because the other shoe is going to drop at some point. Or, Mm -hmm. man, shit sucks right now. But it'll get better at some point. You know, like I have – that's just how I'm programmed. Um, So, yeah, I think that there is going to be a period. I think that people will look back in history and be like, yeah, from, you know, starting in the early – um 21st century i mean we things really started with 9-11 right like mm-hmm. that kind of woke people up a little bit to hey um maybe everything's not great and uh and maybe we should start being a little more um knowledgeable on what's going on around us and then yeah. it leads up to this point now um as we go into 2020 where it's like yeah uh political shit is crazy because all you have to do is be a billionaire and you'll be our president um mm-hmm. and or you just need to have the right people funding you and backing you up and you can be president or whatever your the case is and then and then yeah you get this like coronavirus era thing going on where you know people are physically incapable of being around each other and we start to find community in the in every scrape and and nook and cranny that we can. And then when this finally ends, hopefully um, we, I think there will be a resurgence of community and we'll have that individuality meshed with community of like, I bring this to the table, kind of what we were talking about before, you know, and, and, and I can bring this to the table and, and, Oh, you have that. Let's, let's make this trade. And we're going to get back to a place where people are valued for who they are rather mm-hmm. than what number they represent. Um, yeah. And or how big their following is or yeah. you know, all these really arbitrary. Like if you think about it, all that stuff is so arbitrary and yeah, like on, on a level, there are important factors. Like I hope that you build a fantastic community with your podcast. I hope that you guys, you know, blow up and in, in your specific genre and community, but at the same time it's like has work become life and have we reached this tipping point where we're not balanced enough sure yeah and and that's a that's a huge concern for me right now because like i listed off earlier my my schedule is completely packed and i have i'm i'm running myself into the ground and i'm watching myself do Mm -hmm. it i'm i'm knowledgeable of that but there's hope at the end of the tunnel right that's that's why i'm doing it it's not because Oh, I just got to stay busy. Oh, I got to do this. It's yeah. I, I want to create a life for myself that's better than um, better than Fred Meyer, better than, you know, the Kmart down the road. I, I don't want to have to work for some big corporation. I want to be able to stand on my own. Um, yeah. And I think that's what a lot of our art and creativity is responding to. Um, and I think in in 50 years, people will look back and be like, yeah, this this era between 2010 and we'll say 2025, this 25 to, to you know, uh, 15 to 25 years, yeah. they, people were really, you can see it in the art that was being produced because it's all the art that's being produced is being produced independently. You know, that the real mm-hmm. artists, the real uh, people who are doing it, they're putting out indie records, they're self-publishing their books, they're doing a blog they're doing you know um instagram they're showcasing their art on you know instagram yeah and no no like there's a place for for that and i think these online community i hope 
moving forward, much like you, that we look at these like online communities as a stepping stone to putting our work in the world more than, you know, what's the next argument I can get into today, you know? Yeah. Like just, and I think that that, that's the part of the world that I have hope for. And, you know, not to sound too controversial or anything, but I think that's part of the blessing in disguise of this pandemic is reminding us are those ar arbitrary things that we've been putting so much um, weight into really, really, really important. Right. Well, now, well, now look, you know, yeah, because of this pandemic, our literal ability to immerse in our own communities is either gone or very, very, very limited. Yeah. And so was it a right choice to lean so heavily into not saying that there's anything wrong with it. It's just like the fight, the pendulum, like balancing its swing or the scale fine. We were like here and now it's like vacillating in a way that we need to come find this balance again. And right. I think that at least for me, that's the internal journey of like finding the balance between immersing in some community, but then immersing in the world too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I love, I love thinking about the future. I've got a whole sci-fi uh, like a couple of books at least that like I, I have these small predictions that I'd love to write out and not that I'm like, oh, I, I'm totally going to be right. But just the idea <laughs> of like, what does someone from 2020 think that the year 2080 is going to look like? Yeah. Um, and I think totally. even that's a cool stamp. When you look back at like, we're getting ready to do George Orwell, um, mm. you know, and so we've got this guy from the 1940s and 50s who, what does he think 1984 is going to look like, you know? And, yeah. and so that's still a very relevant book because it's not about, he's not going, this is what 1984 is going to be like. He's like, this is what it could be if we don't make the right choices <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's still relevant today. And what are even the right choices? Yeah, exactly. Like, do we want this? Do we, yeah. is it better this way or do we want to keep our individuality? So Totally. Yeah. I think that's really cool. So do you uh, do you have anything else that you wanted to to throw out there, chat about? Um, We've covered such a wide gambit yeah, of topics. We've just kind of like been all over the place, but it's been really fun. It has been fun. I, I enjoy these conversations a little bit more than when it's like, okay, we have to talk about this and this and this and this and this book. Um, I like just chatting with people. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said before, this is a way for me to make more friends and to really yeah. have that experience of of i mean you're on the other side of the united states we would have never met if it wasn't for the internet and yeah the common interests that we have yeah absolutely and like i i think i think really like the way we started the show just like this is the best part of the internet yeah. you know the part of the internet where we can meet people who have very similar types of interests and we get to connect and collaborate and uh, make content and uh, just build a friendship around similar values even if it's in just like one specific area of life creativity like there's so many uh, there's so much that's positive if we lean into it yeah and I think that that's the best part of the internet and just learning the balance of like not sucking myself into all the distractions that are out there yeah you know because yeah. there's always distractions like uh who is it uh Stephen Pressfield the war of art author 
Uh, I don't know if you've read that book. I don't know. It's anything nonfiction. About it. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Pressfield. He's written a book called War of Art. Um, uh, transposed title of the Art of War. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but it's really about the creative journey and the inner battle of resistance and the different ways resistance shows up, including the distractions that we all get into. And um, I think that, like we said in the beginning, being able to use the internet as a tool and social media specifically, because that's the biggest point of mass distraction, but being able to use it in a focused way and connect with, with one another in a way that inspires us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the coolest part. And yeah. Awesome. This has been really fun. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited, excited for, um, basically just being your friend and being able Aww, to, thanks. to chat about things every once in a while. I think eventually I'm going to have everybody from our writers group on this show. Uh, just cause that's awesome. everybody in the group is awesome. And, uh, I always enjoy chatting with them about random things. Yeah. Um, so Devani, um, thank you so much for joining us on between Lewis and Lovecraft. Thank you so much for listening to our show too. I super appreciate that. Of course. Um, what it, cool content. Thank you for, uh, thank you for both of your effort, you and your co-host efforts in, uh, just creating what you guys are intrinsically interested in and putting it out in the world and seeing what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, always feel free to reach out to us and uh, comment on things and um, tell a friend, right? Absolutely. Because that's the important thing. <laughs> you got it. All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. That's super cool. I feel cool. Street creds. Yeah, you can say you're fun. on somebody else's podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> and there, I don't have an outro. That's this is always awkward because I don't know what to say and that's becoming the outro. So awkward goodbye. That's fine. So, yeah. You know, just mix your actual personality into it. Put uh, your awkward into it. Who cares? If there's anything I can tell you, it's the best place to hide. It's in your mind. It's in your mind.